welcome to the Truth Ward Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have benefited from this podcast or any of Olin's books, we'd like to ask you to leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast or wherever you purchase your books. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and while you turn there, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you'd hear our prayers right now. I pray for these next few minutes together. You would protect us from the evil one. Lord, don't let him distract us. Don't let him snatch the word out of our minds before it even has a chance to plant itself in our souls. And Lord, help me say everything that you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less, and to say it in just the way that you want me to say it, Lord, so that you could use it in your people's lives, Lord, to conform us to the image of Christ. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, talking about putting any kind of sexual sin to death. And so, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, who was a pastor in this church and was a single guy, and he's telling him how to relate to different people in the church. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And the idea here is Christians relating to one another is really like the family of God. And so he's telling Timothy, a younger man, anytime you're hanging out with younger women, the main thing, you need to treat them like your sister. You need to be pure. And so uh, anything that you would feel free to do physically, with your brother or sister would be a fine way to show affection to your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, somebody outside of marriage. Uh, But anything that you would feel weird or awkward or strange doing with your brother or your sister, biblically speaking, you shouldn't do with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the random person you went on one date with, or even your fiance. I know that's hard for us to handle in this culture, but that that is the biblical standard. Sometimes we wish that the Bible was a lot more gray, and on some issues, it's gray. It's really not gray on this one. It's really black and white, and we don't like it because it, it takes away all the wiggle room we wish that we had. So here, here's kind of my personal definition of sexual sin. Sexual sin is any way that you seek to get or give sexual pleasure outside of marriage. Sexual sin is any way that you seek to give or get sexual pleasure outside of marriage. Okay? So that can be everything from lustful looks, lustful thoughts in your minds, things that you watch on the internet, things that you read that stir up sexual desire in your heart, hooking up with your boyfriend, uh, masturbation, anything like that, okay, would fall under that. Now, it's not wrong to notice somebody of the opposite sex, to think they're attractive, to think, man, that's the kind of person I would like to marry one day. But once in a sense you start undressing them in your mind, imagining what they would be like in bed, you've crossed the line into sinful lust, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful that when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So I know sometimes in our culture it's so hyper-sexualized, it seems almost impossible to really be faithful with the area of fighting lust. And yet the Bible does promise us the temptations we're facing, they're common. People have been facing them their whole our all of humanity. We may have some new forms of facing it, but it's common. And God, if you're a Christian, he's going to give you the power, the grace, and the strength to say no. Now, when I think we talk about this, 
there's really two massive dangers, a ditch on either side of the road. The, the one ditch over here is kind of thinking, you know what, there's just one magic bullet. And if I can figure out what that magic bullet is and just do it, uh, maybe it's like a 40-day fast or something like that. If I went on a 40-day fast, I'll just be healed. There's no magic bullet. C can God totally heal you, so to speak, and take this lust away forever? Yes, he can do that. And I know some people that used to struggle terribly, they don't struggle anymore. Uh, but that's not the typical way it works. The ditch on the other side of the road would be thinking that you're stuck, that there's going to be no change, there's going to be no progress. If you really are in Christ, there will be progress. Now, it may be painful progress. It may be slow progress. It may be two steps forward, one step back, not as much progress as you want. But there really is hope. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, he had a quote, and I think he was specifically talking about lust when he said this. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. So just think about that. You're not going to be able to stop the images that you see on a billboard, on a commercial sometimes that may put a sinful thought in your mind, but you can take responsibility for what you do with the second thought and how far that you take it. I want you to think about for just a second the hardest thing you've ever done in your life physically, like maybe running a marathon or maybe a, a class that you had to take that was so hard you had to study all the time or Maybe you climbed a mountain or something like that. I don't, I don't know what it is. But if some, I actually had a friend recently who said they were training for a 200-mile race, which I just think is pure stupidity. Um, but imagine if this person is training for the 200-mile race and somebody came up and said, oh, I know the secret to winning a 200-mile race. If you want to win a 200-mile race, there's just one thing you've got to do. I don't even know what comes after that sentence, but I know it's wrong. Because I know to win a 200-mile race, there's not just one thing. There's a lot of things. I mean, you've got to have a training regimen. You've got to have a diet regimen. You've probably got to have the right kind of shoes and clothes and food to carry on the trail with you. You've got to apply. There's so many things. A coach. And in the same way, fighting a besetting sin in your life. And for many people in this culture, lust can become like addiction in, an, in its different forms there's not just one magic bullet. It's going to have to be an all-out approach. And so that's why I have a lot of different principles that I'm going to try to give you tonight. Okay, so um, let's start in Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to go. Okay, Genesis chapter 2. And listen, even if you're sitting here tonight, you got invited to this leadership team meeting, you're like, i got other sin struggles in my life, but this is not really the area that I struggle in. Okay, number one, thank God. But the second thing is, I would say you still probably need to listen and take notes because if you're serious about doing personal ministry the rest of your life, there are probably going to be lots of people that you minister to that do struggle with sexual sin. And so you need to know where to take them biblically to help them. So let's start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then skip down into chapter 3 and look in verse 5. This is Satan speaking to Eve. <clears throat> For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, the original sin was not a sexual sin. But there's a principle here that's important for us. If you want to be able to fight, again, a lot of these principles are going to apply to any sin, but we're just going to apply them to sexual sin tonight. If you want to be able to fight sin well, you've got to know your story. 
You've got to know the lies that you believe. You've got to know yourself. You've got to know the things that you idolize. And so why do I go to this story? Because I want you to notice what Satan did. God planted a tree in the garden, and God named the tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Satan came to tempt Adam and Eve, he used the circumstances in their life. Hey, there's this tree over here. The tree just happens to be called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I guess what that means is if you eat of it, you'll have more knowledge. Satan is a master at taking normal circumstances in our life and using them to tempt us into sin, okay? Some of you, almost certainly in a room this size, had some kind of sexual abuse in your childhood. Maybe it wasn't sexual abuse. Maybe it was just a another friend across the street and some kind of sexual experimentation that you did when you were little kids. Some of you, it may have just been when you were in the fifth grade was the first time you got introduced to pornography. And you kind of knew it was wrong, but you felt good and something made you like it and you kept going back to it and it started an addiction. And the point is this, understanding your story and where these roots started in your heart is one of the things that will help you be able to defeat the thing. Because part of what starts to happen, even in your childhood, before you're ready to fight against these things, is Satan is using circumstances to put lies into your mind. I was talking to a friend today, and part of what he was saying is, when I was young and I was stressed, I learned that a way that I could get rid of stress was to go look at pornography. Okay, and when you're a young child, that seems pretty simple and natural, unfortunately, but you can get stuck in a pattern that could stay with you for the next 30 years. So you've got to know your own story. You've got to know the lies that Satan is trying to personally tell you. The third thing, and this is kind of all under point one, and, and I wouldn't necessarily say that you should try to keep a great outline tonight, but just maybe write down as many things as stick out and are helpful to you, is you need to understand your different idols. And let me explain by, what I mean by that. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, uh, John is talking about the sinful world culture that we live in, and he says, All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. So there's t- three different kind of main streams of sin. There's the lust of our eyes. We see stuff and we want it. Some people, why do they go to sexual sin? Why do they go to pornography? Why do they keep hooking up with different random people? They like the beauty. They're chasing beauty. Beauty's not a bad thing. It's just they're chasing beauty in a sinful way. Other people, they're not primarily chasing beauty. They're chasing pleasure, the lust of the flesh. That's our appetites. They want to feel good. They like the pleasure that comes. Again, pleasure's not sinful. But you can seek pleasure in sinful ways. And then third, some people, it's really pride. It's really reputation. They're seeking something to boast in. This is the guy that wants to sleep with as many girls as he can just so he can brag about it to his buddies. I had one guy tell me one time, he said, you know the main reason I look at porn? The porn girl never tells me no. And I'm tired of getting shot down by people when I'm asked on dates. There's this fantasy. It wasn't so much about beauty or pleasure for him. It was about a feeling of respect. And you've got to know what's driving me back to these same sinful patterns over and over so that you can begin to fight at that level. Now the next thing, uh, look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 7, right where we left off. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. When you sin, there is a proper sense of shame. This is an important side note. There is such thing as toxic shame. Shame that you shouldn't feel. If you were a four-year-old kid and your uncle abused you, 
you shouldn't feel any shame in a responsible way. It's not your fault. You didn't plan that. You didn't seek that out. It's not your fault. But if you go out tonight and pay to see a prostitute, you should feel shame for that. That's sinful and you knew better. But here's the key. What do you do with your shame? Even the proper shame, the right kind of shame that we feel for our sin, don't try to stuff it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to cover it up with good works. Rather, go and confess. Go and confess to God. Go and confess to other people. So much of what makes this Genesis 3 story so sad is Adam and Eve, they sin by eating the forbidden fruit, but then it's like they double down on their sin. Rather than running to God and saying, forgive us, they ran away from God and said, I can fix this. I can do this on my own. And they tried to make themselves aprons. I had a counseling professor in seminary. He said a lot of profound stuff. This may have been the most profound thing. He said, Satan will define you by your secrets. So if you have some dark stuff in your past, again, it may have been something that you did, it may have been something that was done to you, and you've never told anybody, you don't have to go air all your dirty laundry to every random stranger you meet on the street. You do probably need one or two people. One might be a mentor, a counselor, and the other one might be a peer, a best friend, a trusted ally that you can talk to about this stuff. Bring it into the light. Don't try to hide it, okay? Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Guys, when you have sinned and when there's shame, don't run away from people. Run towards the right people that can help you. And don't run away from God. Run to God and ask Him to help you. Psalm chapter 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If you really want to fight and kill this sin, you've got to have God involved in the efforts, blessing the work of your hands. I had a roommate in college, and he was really trying to walk with Christ, and he really was in many ways. I mean, he was a campus outreach leader kind of student. But if he ever went out on a date with a girl and ended up making some stupid, sinful choices, I didn't even have to ask him about it. I knew because... Saturday morning, it's like he just wouldn't get out of bed. He would literally stay in bed all day, like pull the covers over his head, didn't want to talk to anybody. He had so much shame. It's like he couldn't talk to a human being. He didn't want to even talk to God. And guys, that's just one of Satan's strategies to push us down deeper into shame. Because listen, the human heart was created for joy. We're created for pleasure. We're created for passion. Oftentimes, what we're seeking and these sinful experiences is something good that God wants us to have in the right time and the right way. And if when you do it and you feel terrible, so you just go have a pity party and cry, here's the problem. Your heart is not meant to just live in pity. Your heart is not made to just live in shame forever. And at some point, you won't stand it anymore. And if you're not getting joy in the proper ways from Christ and the gospel, you're going to run to some counterfeit way to get joy. And you'll probably go back to the same sexual sin that got you there in the first place and there'll be a sin shame cycle and you'll just never get out of it and you got to break that by going to christ going to the gospel okay um now let's flip over to genesis chapter 37 genesis chapter 37 my guess is some of you know this story this is joseph he's beat up by his brothers he's sold into slavery he's made a slave in a rich man's house and he's over all the house and this man had a wife that takes a liking to Joseph, and she's coming after him. She's pursuing him, okay? And Genesis chapter 37, 
we're going to see an interaction they had and how Joseph responded. Genesis chapter 37 and start in verse 6. Uh, excuse me, that's the wrong place. Genesis chapter 39 verse 6, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 39 verse 6. So he, that's Potiphar, that's the guy that owned Joseph. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, guys, this is a great little passage here. Notice two things. So many people today like to think of themselves as a victim for various reasons. We, we can come up with myriad of reasons why we're a victim and we're getting a bad deal. And because we're a victim, we think that kind of gives us carte blanche freedom to do whatever the heck we want to do. Joseph was a real victim, beaten up, sold into slavery, okay? But he didn't take that as an excuse to do whatever the heck he wanted. When he's tempted, he says, this is a great sin, I can't do it, and mainly I can't do it against God. And so the point here is, guys, you have got to have... You, listen, there are lots of good reasons to fight against sexual sin, but the most important reason is I love God. I want to please God. I want to honor God with my body. I want to honor the Savior who saved me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says, The pure in heart will see God. And if you're saying, I want to have a deeper experience of intimacy with Christ, I want to see Him with my spiritual eyes, that should be your main motivation, not your only motivation, but your main motivation to put off sexual sin. Now, let's look at, uh, let's keep going in the story here in chapter 39, pick up right where we left off, verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to even be with her. So he gets to a point where he's like, I can't even work in the same room with this woman. She's wearing me out. Verse 11, But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, she fled out of the, and had fled out of the house. Guys, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Flee sexual immorality. There are some sins that you should stand and fight. This is not one of them. So you can't totally get away from sexual sin in our culture. But everything that you can do to put a wall between you and sexual sin, for some of y'all, that's break up with the person you're dating now. For others of you, you got the number of an old girlfriend in your phone, and she texts you sometimes late at night, and it's never to wish you happy birthday or you know share a Bible verse with you. It's not for a good reason. You need, you need to delete her number, block her number, you need to just be wise. You need to get away, okay? Do everything you can to get away, get yourself out of the line of fire. This is Really, this is a two-pronged process, guys. Imagine we were all out in like a little rowboat. I guess it would be a big rowboat to hold all of us, all right? But we're out in a boat in the ocean, and we spring a leak, and the water is rushing into the boat, and we're starting to sink. What do we have to do to survive? we got to do at least two things. One, we've got to start bailing water getting it out of the boat so we don't sink. And also we're bailing water so we can get down to where the leak is and we can patch it. If you just try to bail water, eventually your arms will get tired and you won't be able to bail water anymore and you're going to sink and die. 
But if you just try to go down and patch the leak, but you don't bail any of the water out so you can get to the leak, what's going to happen is you're never really going to be able to patch the leak. It'll never seal. Here's the point. To fight this sin, you do have to do the deep heart work. That's why I started with some of the stuff about understanding your story and your lies and your idols. But you also have to do some of the practical work to just bail the sexual sin out of your life. And you really got to be doing both at the same time. Okay? Um, flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, another fairly famous story. This is about King David. And I want you to notice, guys, just Adam and Eve, they were perfect. They were sinless in the garden. And yet Satan tempted them, and they fell. Joseph was a very godly guy, but he was put in a hard situation. He was tempted, and he responded the right way. David was a very godly guy. He was put in a tempting situation. He doesn't respond the right way. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David was supposed to be at battle, but he stayed home and he was lazy. And guys, so one point, the best way to fight sexual sin, the best, way to, uh, best defense is a good offense. Stay busy in the Lord's work as much as you can. One of the things that I've noticed about myself lately is that sometimes the times that I'm most tempted with sin is on my off day when I'm trying to just rest and relax. And I think it's good to have an off day. But I don't tend to get tempted as much with sin when I'm busy doing what the Lord's called me to do. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have an off day, but I'm saying you should be wise about working hard as unto the Lord. Have y'all heard the phrase... Uh, Idle hands are the devil's workshop. There's a lot of truth in that. Stay busy with good things. Be doing the right things, and you won't have as much time and temptation to fall into the wrong things. <clears throat> okay, the next point, okay? Let's keep going right where we left off. Verse 30, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Guys, if you somehow, totally accidentally, happen to walk by somebody, a dorm window or something, and you look in innocently, and you see somebody of the opposite sex who's very attractive, taking a shower or something, that's probably going to be pretty exciting. But if you turn your head away and you think, wow, I shouldn't have seen that, and God helped me be pure, and I'm just going to go home and read my Bible and pray now, you, you technically haven't sinned. You were tempted you were put in a situation, the thought goes through your brain, you fight it. But that's not what David did. He sees this beautiful woman and he sends one of his servants to say, figure out who she is. He takes a step towards sin. And what I would say is this, guys. <clears throat> when temptation starts, or maybe when you've even started sinning, as soon as you are aware, cut it off at the first thought, at the first action. Or if you're like, I've already done the first action, well then cut it off at the second action. If you know this story, what ends up happening is David invites her over. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. So then he invites her husband home to try to get the husband to sleep with the wife. The husband is a loyal soldier. And so he's like, if all my buddies are in the uh, battlefield fighting, I'm not going to go home and sleep with my wife. So then David sends the guy back into battle and intentionally has the guy killed so that he can cover up the fact that he got his wife pregnant, marries the wife. It's just terrible. It leads to murder. Satan will take you further than you want to go with sin. 
and he will keep you longer than you planned on staying, and he will cost you more than you were planning on paying. And that's basically an old country song that I'm just using here to teach, okay? But the idea is, guys, as soon as you're aware of the sin or temptation, cut it off then, confess it then. And a lot of times the best thing you can do, if you're in some tempting situation and you didn't plan to be there and all of a sudden you're caught, is call a friend, text a friend, hey, pray for me. I'm in a really bad place, not now, really tempted to do something I shouldn't do. And sometimes just light is the best disinfecting. Bring, have you ever gone into maybe an old dorm room or something and you flip on the lights and there's roaches on the floor but they all scurry once the lights come on? Sin is the same in some sense. If you would just bring stuff into the light, it's amazing the way the temptation loses its power. Okay, And let me just kind of skip ahead to another point that's very helpful. Learn to confess temptation. Look, if you know that you're going to be in a situation where you're going to be tempted, you're like, hey, I'm going back home for spring break, and I've got an old boyfriend, and he's already been calling me, and I blocked his number, but I know him. He's so aggressive and belligerent, and you know he's probably going to come by my house. He's probably going to try to talk to me, and I'll be honest. If I'm going to be home for spring break, just hang out with my parents, I'm going to be bored. I'm going to be lonely. It's going to be... Tell some of your friends on the front end, would you please call me every day and tell me that you're praying for me and remind me that I don't need to go hang out with Bob because Bob is bad news in my life. If you know the temptation is coming, go ahead and recruit some people on the front end to help you stay away from it, okay? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so as soon as you are aware of the tempting thought in your mind, do everything you can to deliberately reject it. Okay? Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. The next point is just this, guys. Get married. Now listen, is everybody supposed to get married? No. And will marriage fix all of your sexual problems and sexual temptations? No. Okay? There's plenty of married people that end up having affairs like King David or keep looking at porn or something like that. But it will, it can make a real difference. Right? There's a place in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul's telling single people, if you burn with lust, just go ahead and get married. It's a legitimate outlet for all of your sexual desires and passions. Okay? To be handled the right way. Look at what Proverbs chapter 5 verse 18 says. Let your fountain be blessed, and a lot of times that was kind of a euphemism for sexuality, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? And so the Bible says, listen, it's a great thing to get married and literally be so excited with sexual pleasure with your spouse that you almost feel drunk. And it's like, hey, I'm just getting lost, kind of wandering around because I'm having such a good time. That, that's a good thing. And so I'm not telling any of you go get married tonight. All right, don't elope and go to Las Vegas and do it tonight. But what I am saying is, if you're like, I really struggle with sexual temptation, well, then you probably don't have the gift of singleness. And so grow up as fast as you can. Get out of college as fast as you can. Meet somebody, fall in love, and get married, and it won't fix all your problems, but it can be a game changer, okay? Um, Matthew chapter 4. We're finally to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. 
And let's look at Jesus. Which just think about this, guys. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as we are. Jesus Christ had sexual temptation. He had a normal body, normal desires, just like we do. Right? He ministered to a lot of prostitutes. He had temptation. But he never gave in not one second, not even in his mind. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. How was he so strong? We say, well, he's God, yes. But in his humanity, how was he so strong? Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. One of the best things you can do to fight any kind of sin is fasting. When you take a day or longer and you don't eat, and instead of eating, the time that you would have spent going to get the food, prepare the food, eat the food, you spent extra time in prayer, extra time in the Word, fighting against sexual sin. Guys, and especially sexual sin, think about eating. It's another appetite. And when I say no to my growling stomach, it will help me have more spiritual strength and self-control to say no to my burning sexual desires. Next point, Matthew chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Satan comes to Jesus, just like he did Adam and Eve. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus, this is, I love this. Satan had a temptation that was very specific. It's about you're hungry, why don't you make some bread and eat it? And Jesus says, I got a verse about bread. Jesus didn't just quote a random verse. Did you notice that? He didn't just say, well, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus said, no, you got a temptation about bread? I have a verse about bread. And so what I tell you, think about what I said in the very beginning. Know yourself, okay? Know what there is that you're really tempted with, and then try to find a verse in the Bible that speaks to that thing so that when you're tempted, you can quote that specific verse. Uh, if, if you say, what draws me into sexual sin the most is the allure of beauty. Well, think about Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. David says, one thing that I should seek, that I would see the beauty of the Lord. That will really satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. Okay? Pleasure. If you're like, I'm just after pleasure. It just feels good. Psalm 16, 11 says, in thy presence is pleasure forevermore. Okay? That would be a good verse for you to memorize. If you're like, I want to be respected. I want people to like me. So that's why I keep doing this sexual stuff. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2 says, This is the man that God respects. I mean, you, you we want to be respected? What if God respected you? He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. So find a verse that you can memorize to fight against sexual uh, temptation. John chapter 17, verse 17 says, You know, th there's a cleansing power of the word. Memorizing the Word, again, it won't be a silver bullet. It can cleanse old thoughts, old patterns, old memories away. When I was in high school and really struggling with pornography and things like that, I had a great relationship with my dad. I talked to him about this, and one of the things my dad told me was memorize Romans chapter 6. It's 23 verses. I memorized the whole thing. Okay, And so what started happening is if I had a thought, if I was on a date, whatever, I had a tempting situation, I would start quoting that to myself. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in any longer? Or don't you know that all of us, I'm not going to quote the whole thing now, but I can still quote it because I quoted it probably 10,000 times in high school. And it just became like a knee-jerk reaction. Okay, If I was bored and tired and lonely and I was tempted to go somewhere and do something I wouldn't, I'd just start quoting it to myself. 
That can help you so much. Okay. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but here's what happens. Jesus rebuts the first temptation, and Satan brings two more. And so the, the next point would just be persevere, guys. This, 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 I, I'm 46 years old, and I'm in a happy and healthy marriage, and I really love my wife, and we have a great marriage, but I'm not out of this fight yet. You're going to have to persevere to the end. Okay. Luke chapter 4, verse 13, Luke 4 tells the same story of temptation that Matthew 4 does, but it says that Satan left Jesus for a more opportune time. There will be times where you feel like you're in an intense temptation, and maybe you fight and you push back and it goes away. Satan is coming back. Okay? John Owen has this famous quote where he says, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And he also says, When it feels like sin is kind of dead in your life, it's not dead. It's just laying dormant. It's like a crouching lion trying to lull you to sleep, lull your defenses to be low so it can pounce on you. Okay? But James 4, 7 is a great promise. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. All right, we're almost done now. Uh, flip over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Another famous passage. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. He doesn't literally mean for you to pluck your right eye out because you still have your left eye to lust. So what's the point? He's saying, be willing to do whatever it takes. And guys, for a lot of you, it has to do with this thing right here. I, I, a lot of times, I did this last night somewhere with a bunch of guys. I said, this is probably the biggest waste of an iPhone on planet Earth. I'm a grown man, 46 years old. I've been married for 25 years. I've been in full-time ministry for 25 years. I don't have the Safari browser on my phone. I don't have the app store on my phone. If I want to get an app, I have to get my wife to put the password in. And that's not because she's trying to be a policewoman in my life. I've asked her to do that because I don't trust myself. And I don't want all the extra temptation. I had a guy that I was discipling one time. He was in college, and he was really struggling with pornography. So he got rid of Safari browser. He got the Covenant Eyes browser on his phone. You know, that's like a reporting software. And he said, man, it got so much better. You know, it's like he's not looking at porn anymore. So much freedom. Three or four months later, I was like, well, how's it going? He's like, well, you know, yeah, I've been struggling a little bit with porn. I was like, well, what happened? He said, well, I took the Covenant Eyes browser off. You know, I put Safari back on. I'm like, why did you do that? He said, well, Covenant Eyes browser was just too slow. Safari's just so much faster. And listen, I love that guy, but he was a moron. I mean, getting to the Sports Center page that you're excited about looking at five seconds quicker is not worth inviting this sin back into your life. You've got to have a ruthless attitude in fighting against this sin. Okay? Flip over to Luke, Luke chapter 11. And it's just the Lord's Prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. It's the shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Guys, if you're really struggling with sexual sin and whatever sin you're struggling with, every day, Lord, give me the grace today to fight against this sin. Give me enough spirit-filled self-control for 24 hours to be faithful. And then, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Please don't let there be any big out-of-the-blue temptation. Just pray about it every single day. 
James 5.16, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Guys, one of the biggest things you can do, we already talked about this, but I'll come back around to it, is confess to others, and don't just confess, ask them to pray for you. Ask them to pray with you. And then 1 John 1.9, 1 John if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't care what kind of crazy, wicked, perverse history you may have. The darkness that you may have in your sexual life and the staining that you may feel. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough, not just to forgive you legally in the courtroom of God. It is powerful enough to that, but, but to cleanse you, to make you feel like you were cleansed, like you were made new, like you were blameless in His sight. And so... When you sin, when you struggle, when you stumble, when you fall, always run back to Christ. Always run back to the gospel. Always run back to the fountain of his cleansing blood. Let me pray. Father, please use this in our lives to grow us up and to make us into the people of purity that we might have more intimacy with you and we might live lives that are more enjoyable for us in pure ways and more pleasing and honoring to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching. 